You're listening to the John Clark cast, where we are all about building a better private practice without all the overwhelm. And in this episode, it's another kind of success story from one of my uh, one of my consulting clients, a uh, a private practice owner, where uh, Stephanie Stephanie Cook and I are talking about um, basically how she's grown her group practice, how she's been able to become the boss of herself, which is something I think a lot of therapists really struggle with. We're also talking about things like how to bring your partner uh, into your business, um, uh, having a partner or spouse who's also a business owner, uh, what to do when the check engine light of your business has been on for a while, how coaching really helped her, uh, how knowing her KPIs have really helped, and how to make friends with your numbers. So lots of good stuff in this episode. And without further ado, let's dive in. I love bringing new information to you, new interviews, solo episodes, um, lots of useful stuff for you to grow your private practice. And of course, this podcast is totally free to you. So um, what a deal that is. Um, The only thing I ask for in return is that you help spread the word. I need your help growing this show. So I want you to take a moment right now, pause the episode and share your favorite episode with two or three therapist friends. Send them an email, send them a link on Facebook, whatever it is. Um, You can text them the episode um, by sharing the iTunes link directly from your phone. Um, But just share the episode with a few friends. Tell them to check out the show if you enjoy it. And um, I appreciate it in advance. All right. Stephanie Cook is an Atlanta-based licensed clinical social worker and certified Gottman couples therapist who runs Couples Counseling ATL, a group practice dedicated to helping couples create real connection and lasting happiness using the Gottman Method, uh, counseling, and workshops. She and her husband have a toddler and a baby, and when they manage to get out for a date night, they love to ride bikes and stand-up comedy, which makes a lot of sense to me because... You're always posting really funny things on Facebook. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and also you. welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. I, I did notice though that, uh, well, everyone likes to laugh, right? But you have a particular affinity for comedy or funny things. I do. I do. <laughs> uh, I think that's, um, that's, that's very, um, Stephanie, as my friends, there you go. my friends say that I'm the comedic relief when we uh, get together. So I, I love to laugh. It's an important role to fill. <laughs> well, what's <laughs> what's missing from your bio? Obviously, a lot, an entire lifetime worth of a bio. But um, what else? Uh, what else do you want people to know about you? Well, um, I think for me, like many therapists, it's been a long and winding road. Mm to where I'm at. And, um, I think I've, I've always loved listening as much as I'm an extrovert and you may be annoyed at how much I talk. (laughs) I, I really do love to listen and to hear especially people's stories. And since I was young, I, I know that that's, that's been just something I've, I've always loved. And, 
Um, and so I, I started out, I think probably as early as a teenager, um, I, I volunteered at a teen crisis shelter. That's kind of where I, I first fell in love with this role. I had the, the fun title of peer counselor, um, at age 14. That's how it all begins. Yep. And then, so that, that's where I think I got hooked. Um, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's been really rewarding, I think, to, to be, uh, to be a counselor, especially at this phase of my life with two young kids, mm. you know, um, it's so flexible and, um, and, and I just love it. They, they give you those, um, they give you a title. I had that title in middle school. I was like <laughs> a peer mentor, even though I'm like the same age as these kids. I'm in like sixth grade, but it's basically like, who's a nice kid who's not going to bully the new kids and generally doesn't. <laughs> like overwhelm people let's have him be the peer mentor which is like the miniature therapist of sixth grade and i I carried that title all of middle school i didn't know that john that's awesome and then it did nothing for me when it came to applying to colleges and other things in life (laughs) i know right but it's it was an honor still is an honor (laughs) that is an honor um but you got pinned as the as a good good listener Yeah. I was I, I was queen of the dorks too. I mean, I th- mm, that was that my uh, that was my role was uh you know not just comedic relief but uh, I I love I volunteered all the time and yeah. oh, didn't yeah. didn't make it out to many parties. I had to wait till college <laughs> for that. So. Well, dorks have so much more empathy because what I find is that like the 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 dorks are like the coolest kids now now that we're adults. Yeah. And every time yeah. I go home, I'm like, it is the dorks who are like cooler and are just still nice people. Meanwhile, the jerks are like trying to make up for lost time and they're just going around <laughs> apologizing at high school reunions. And everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's okay, but also it's not because you uh, ruined my life for f- the most formative years of my adolescence. And, you know. <laughs> Have you made it back to reunion? John, have you made it back to any? That's a sensitive subject because we've never had one. That's how dis, dis oh, that's how much discord was in my graduating class that that we haven't even had one because some the <laughs> class president like pitched the idea or like made a Facebook group and said who who's coming to our first reunion and there was only like four people. It was really oh. sad. So that's how <laughs> clicky things were. It's awful. So I, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to get that, and I really really want it. I'd have to go to someone well, else's. We need a peer counselor to help yeah. <laughs> reunite everyone. We need better leadership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. So you we could need... have a circle or something yeah. and, and have some group processing for for past uh, hmm. damage. I'm sure that wouldn't freak anyone out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. Um, I won't go into it too much, but just uh the you're so right about the the dynamics there with 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 even even with my high school i remember having so much anxiety about going back for a a reunion and uh it was a blast i ended up having a great time but it's you you just regress like i remember mm-hmm. suddenly feeling like a you know a 16 year old again and oh does this person like me you know and all mm. the uh all the same dynamics so it it's it's nice to it's nice to have have already gone and, and had a good experience and, and to not have the same level of anxiety anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> what was the point for you when you realized like, I want to do this for money? Well, I, um, 
you know, I actually started out after college, you know, I was a psych major, like many of us, um, psych and English. Um, but I thought, I thought I would just always want to volunteer. And, and then I thought, you know, I, when I thought of therapy or I thought of psychology, um, I thought of not making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I remember thinking I would like to make money. Um, so I will just volunteer and, and do the, this sort of peer counseling role or, or work in a shelter kind of role, um, separate. So it took a year or two after graduating in sales and marketing to realize I actually don't want to do this. Um, this business, uh, marketing role. Um, and, and I, I took a huge pay cut to go into the nonprofit world. I just, so you I kept worked in sales of, and marketing. I did. Oh, I did. Okay. I didn't know that. Just for, yeah. For just a year or two mm. after, after college. And that um, was enough. That was enough. <laughs> I did very well, but I, I also did not, uh, enjoy the role that I was in. Um, mm. so it was, it was it was interesting though because looking back, I've talked to my husband many times about this. Of course, we need sales and marketing for therapy mm-hmm. as well and for our business. Um, but when you, it's it's very different when you really believe in something that you're selling and something that you're providing a service. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great asset, and I ended up using a lot of those skills later, much much later when I went into private practice. But I was in nonprofit for a long time before, mm. so. So even when I had a big pay cut and, and started working for Youth Villages, this um, nonprofit uh, based out of Memphis, um, doing in-home kind of family services, I loved it. People were dropping like flies around me. You know, we, out of maybe the 200 people who started with me, two years later, only maybe 10 of us were left. Wow. Um, so as you know, with many of us who have been in the nonprofit world, it's tough. You're frontline. Um, but it, but I just loved, I loved families and I love, how were you able to stick it out? You know, um, I think I was bright eyed and bushy tailed. I was delusionally optimistic. Um, and I just really loved the people Mm -hmm. I was working with my colleagues. I loved the families we were helping and it just felt like home. It's like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Hmm. And I don't care if I don't make any money. I mean, that was for a little while. I, I eventually wanted to make money. But, but, but you know, working for a nonprofit and having a very small salary, um, it just, it really didn't matter when I was doing something that I loved. So that's, that's how I got hooked after, you know, for a career in, in, in therapy and in counseling. I got a taste. Now, when did you, when did that other switch flip of, um, I love this. I love helping people, and I want to make make a little bit more money. <laughs> well, I had I decided to go back to graduate school because I had some great mentors at that nonprofit, and um, they kept pushing me into management. Like mm. I was twenty five and running a um, mentoring program for kids in foster care all over the state of Tennessee, and. And so they moved me from more kind of pseudo clinical roles into management, into, um, you know, supervising. And as much as I liked that, I really, I just kept missing the work, the direct work. Mm-hmm. And, and so some of my mentors said, Stephanie, you should probably go back to graduate school and, and get at least a master's. You know, you seem to really like the clinical side. Um, and, and it was in graduate school that I learned about, you know, what you can do in private practice and, 
and and how you can both help people and make a living. You don't have to sign a vow of poverty. So that was wow. good to learn. <laughs> now, where did you learn that? Because I've said many times on the show, I've I learned the opposite, and that's a big part of why I do what I do. We we almost had to sign that vow. Well, I it, it always comes back to those those moments in time where it's a it's just maybe one conversation or one person you meet or experience you have that just change your trajectory. And for me, it was meeting, um, Stephanie Swan. She's a, uh, a clinical social worker like me, but she's also a PhD and she taught at UGA where I was in Mm -hmm. graduate school and she also had a private practice and she had started another company. And, and so she was entrepreneurial and she was a clinician and she was a teacher and she wore many of the hats that I hoped to have. And she told me, you know, you, you can make a good living. She, she and her partner had a, you know, a mountain house. And I thought, whoa, like you can have that. Uh, so, so she, she, she inspired me, even though most of the other people I'd learned from had, had taught me what I'm sure you, you learned in graduate school, which is, oh no, no, especially in social work, you, you, you're not going to make money. Like just know that going in, that was the main message I also got from most people. So, so it was less that the school told you it was possible and more that you had an example, which is yes. pretty pretty cool. And powerful to yeah. see it in action, like yeah. someone doing great work and making a living. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, fast forward to where you are now, or at least in the interest of time, um, what has had or is having the biggest impact on your success as a business owner because well I, I met you and things were already going really well in my opinion. <laughs> we can we can always do we can always do things better and we're always striving to improve but um but yeah w- what has had impact along the way to get where you are now and in, in in building a successful cash pay practice. Right. Um a very specialized practice and a in a group practice which none of those things are very easy to do. Well, I think you know, just like Stephanie, you know, having a mentor, um, and then, you know, honestly, got to give you a plug here, <laughs> paying for a consultant to really, you know, teach me how to do this, do the things that I want to do, but I don't know how to do, like seeing the gap, you know, it's like, I, I have always, like I joked about, have, have had that, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs have, which is the drive, the optimism, you know, the vision, but I, I haven't always had those practical skills. I didn't get an MBA, you know, so filling in the gap and learning, like, what are my numbers? Like finally looking at my finances, like I've always avoided, mm. um, you know, and then when I did a fellowship at Emory and learned some more clinical skills after graduating, my husband really encouraged me to go into private practice full time even though I thought just like most of us have been taught, no, 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 you need to work for 10 years in an agency or you, you need to work for other people for a very long time. And, and I just knew that I, I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had people encourage me to both just go ahead and strike out on my own, but then to get help from people like you. Um, and that's really helped me to just learn and to have someone hold me accountable, um, into, be very thoughtful about how I'm growing this because um, it is my tendency to more jump head first, yeah. go ahead and do it versus let's think about this. Totally. 
So like most therapists, for you, it's, it's not, it's never been a lack of ambition or drive. It's part, it's kind of like, what do I do with that ambition and drive? Or how do I use it to do the right thing next? <laughs> right. Or to, um, yeah, or to steer things in the right direction because there's just a million yeah. ways you could go and a million things you could focus on. I have, and I've always yeah. had five pots cooking, um, you know, like, Oh, let me do this e-course. Oh, let me, you know, I've done speaking engagements and workshops and I've done a lot of the things that I really enjoy, but oftentimes I do spread myself thin and I get very excited very quickly. And, and I love big projects and big ideas but it's, it's been very helpful for me to prioritize and to think, okay, what, what needs to happen now and what needs to happen next for my goals or for my life? You know, having children really changed that for me too. Like for many parents, I think especially women, um, you know, there's nothing like a child to really change for make you to, to look at your priorities and, and to also keep any tendencies like workaholism, which I'm very prone to, uh, in check. And to, to try to really strive for the kind of balance you want. You've got to make your time count even more when you think, when you consider kids, a family, a husband, um, mm -hmm. and a business that can and will always, always kind of, um, you know, call for your attention. If, if we let it or if we haven't built it especially well to the point where we can really trust it. And so many therapists will never really learn to trust their, their business. And that will just further obligate you into it, like having another child um, <laughs> that always really needs something or that never really grows up. <laughs> I It's so funny that you say that because I think of it as my other baby. It's like I have two sons and I say this is my third baby. Um, and it's always crying and you're right. It's Especially if you love it, if you love what you do, it can be very alluring to just say, well, you know, I'll, I'll stay up another hour, mm -hmm. you know, making this flyer like I did the other night. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, like, yeah, it creeps I, in. John told me to outsource this, you know, like, <laughs> what am I doing? And you, you find yourself almost just compulsively like, oh, well, this is fun. Or, ooh, I can teach myself how to do this. Totally. And, and it can take over your life. And, and I want to have a life. I really don't want to just become you know, this workaholic business owner. Totally. Well, and there's no one that can really stop that or change that except you. Um, you're the boss. There's no other boss. And the, this, for many cases, the power of a coach or a consultant is um, you have someone helping call you out on some of those things or going, hey, here's a reason to shut your computer down. Here's a reason to not work on you know, Sunday evening, if you don't want to, or Sunday afternoon, if you don't want to, um, or here's the consequence that I see coming for you. If you don't stop doing this, you know, I was having that conversation the other day with, with, with someone. And, um, it was one of those things where their partner had just started to say, Hey, you're, you're really working a little bit more than usual. Hey, I really, you're really on your phone a lot at dinner. Like you're really on the phone a lot when we're in the car. And it's like we get these kind of warning signs. And sometimes it is our partner going, hey, it's already too much or I need more of you. And so, well, here I am sitting talking with a couples therapist. <laughs> so, you know, you know this or at least like yeah. 
you you help couples be uh, be better for each other. And and just being a business owner is always going to add a new layer to that that we really have to just work with. It's it's fun. It's exciting. I love it. I uh, wouldn't have it any other way. But yeah. um, but it's also you know a risk that we face. Absolutely. And I hear it all the time from my couples. And I think I think you said it in a podcast a while back that often our favorite clients are just like ourselves, right? And so I see, and this is this has been hilarious to watch. Um, you know, I, I've really cut down on my clinical hours since I'm I'm trying to be mainly, you know, growing my group practice. But every now and then I'll let my assistant know, okay, well, I have some room. You can let somebody in, you know. And it'll be another couple where at least one or both are entrepreneurs. And the issues that we're talking about right now are showing up in their relationship. Always. And they're having the exact conversations that I have with my husband. You know, he's an entrepreneur too. And we have to keep each other in check. You know, it's, it's like, hey, where are you? You know, if, if, if they, they're home but the lights aren't on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if stress levels are getting out of control – you know, he's the first one to kick me out and say, Hey, you need to go on a run. Mm. Uh, or I do the same for him. Or we go on a bike ride with our kids or, you know, Hey, when's our next vacation? Like we need to make sure we're doing the things that, that I'm always preaching in couples therapy. So, well, and, and I know that your, your husband also has, um, uh, you know, I guess a lot of involvement in your business, so to speak, um, in terms of making decisions or like scaling and the vision of the business, which I think is crucial. Um, you know, I've, I've learned to really bring, um, my wife into more decisions that I make or into more of the vision because she knows me better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it, so it absolutely affects her. <laughs> or if I know there's yeah. going to be a really intense period coming up where I've got, I'm going to do a bunch of things or I'm doing a launch or, you know what I mean? Uh, just uh, some travel for work. It's like, you got to bring that, your, your partner into that. And sometimes we, we don't. Oh, I, I am the biggest hypocrite on this. There have been so many times where, you know, sometimes, most of the time we're good, but every now and then, I will just steamroll ahead, plow through, making things happen in my business. And then my poor husband is like the last one to know. And he'll say, wait, when's your next couple's workshop? And I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, in two weeks. And he says, oh, oh, so I'm going to be with the kids <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> and um, and so it's embarrassing. But there are times when, you know, I have I have not always – you know, kept him up to speed or included him mm-hmm. on that. And those are not our best weeks as a couple. Mm-hmm. And we are so much better when, you know, we laugh a lot. We both love, you know, talking about our businesses and, you know, encouraging each other, but also, you know, calling each other out on some of our bad habits or tendencies. We're both workaholics at times. And so we, we have to make sure the other person's closing the computer. He makes me go to bed says no 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 he's like no no work tonight we're just we're gonna sit on the porch with a glass of wine you know it's 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 so helpful when you have a partner who gets it and who supports you but also challenges you what is that like to have a partner who who is also a business owner um the pros and the cons (laughs) include the following john um i i think you know he 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 understands on just a different level. You know, he, he really gets how this is a passion of mine because it's a passion of his. 
and he has a different level of empathy um, and understanding. And we're both, you know, he, we have the privilege, I think we've been together over 16 years of, you know, he, he helped me and encouraged me to start my business and supported me financially. And then I've done the same for him. So for, for both of us to be able to really depend on each other, it's, it's been huge. It's been reciprocal. Um, and I think hopefully it'll set a good example for our kids in terms of how, how we want them to think of marriage, um, that, that two people really can support each other's dreams and make it happen. It's interesting. Cause I, um, I've worked with a couple, um, business owners who also their parents are, or were, um, uh, business owners as well. And I've seen that have some interesting effects on, on either end of, on one hand, you know, I've worked with one therapist who's like, that's my inspiration. I've seen, that's, that's why I know I can do it. That's why I know it's all possible. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and that's really neat too. Or, or there's also on the other side of the coin, it can be, yeah, my, my parents ran a business and they were never there for me or, you know, they were, it was always the business first and then me second. Um, yep. so yeah, it's interesting to think about that, that impact or what your kids are seeing when they're, when they're looking at you and your husband, um, uh, doing your own thing. Whereas, um, yeah, maybe some of their peers, you know, uh, have normal jobs or whatever. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And then there is a challenge there, you know, on our best days as a family, you know, I've got the flexibility. I'm not starting till late, you know, maybe I take my kids to the zoo one day, which is down the street. Um, and then on bad days where I haven't really stuck to my boundaries or achieved as much balance or we're not communicating, it's more of like a hand the baby off to the nanny. Okay, run this kid to the preschool, you know, hurry up and run to your office and, and, and so I think, especially with, you know, parents of young children who are entrepreneurs, it's, it's really, it's not just a Zen balance that you achieve at some point. It's a constant renegotiating of, of what does balance mean now? Totally. For yeah. Totally. So, cause I don't want to be, I don't want to be so stressed. I mean, that's the whole point of, of having a successful practice and, helping people is that you can love your job and you can make money, but you can have time to live your life and to be with your kids and, and to show them a good example of an entrepreneur, but also, you know, that, that, that my business doesn't necessarily come first, mm. that, that I want them and my husband to feel like a priority, even though I love my business, I, I ultimately want them to know that, that they come first. Yeah. And that's hard. Well, and it, part of it's just being intentional so that it doesn't become something else or it doesn't, yeah, become untenable, which is, I think, too often the case. Um, so we've talked a lot about, you know, managing yourself. And I think that's a huge part of the role itself of owning a business, running a private practice is becoming your own manager. Um, that's, that is a very nuanced and difficult part of the gig. Um, beyond that, um, what else has, has really helped or what do you, um, you know, what do you wish you knew five years ago? Well, I wish, I wish I had trusted myself more. Um, there were times when I really, you know, maybe I, I, I was doing something because it was lucrative, but not necessarily something I enjoyed. Um, or I, you know, I, I waited 
for a long time, say, to start the group practice out of fear, um, fear of doing something wrong, um, fear of judgment, you know, from my peers, you know, I'm, I'm a, a relatively younger therapist. Um, and I've, I've been licensed for, you know, about seven, seven years. And so, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new. And, and so the thought of starting a group practice, it just felt premature based on, on what a lot of people had said to me. Um, and so I, I think I waited a, a little longer than I probably would have otherwise, if I had just said, you know what, I want to do this and, and I can do this. That's so interesting to me that you got that message. Cause I think it's pervasive and, uh, you know, one of the biggest splits that I had when I was in a PhD program, not that long ago to, to become a counselor educator was, um, my research was in bridging the gap between academia and business. And the professors that did support that research, they left the program. And that's when things started to fall apart for me because everyone else was saying, um, not only do I not support it, but like, I think you shouldn't do it at all. And I, and I actually oppose it. Uh, like not only am I not going to be your, um, you know, your mentor or whatever, but, uh, I oppose it because therapists are just, they're not ready to, to run a business until a certain point. It's like they have to do nothing but develop the clinical skills until they reach that point. And yeah, I just never believed that it needed to be that true. If anything, it should be a case by case basis, right? Or for someone like you who actually had some background in sales and marketing or worked in nonprofit for to then go therapists shouldn't get any business training in graduate school. Therapists should wait 6.257 years Till they do what? It's, it sounds like getting a driver's license, or like there's an arbit in a way. There's an arbitrary kind of um, you know number that people toss out there, experts toss out there, which I think again just has a lot to do with um, academia trying to mitigate risk or trying to mitigate you know careless young counselors getting out there and making a mess of things. Right, and I think it's a it's an understandable caution at best. Mm-hmm. But I think it is very arbitrary, like you're saying. It, it is. It should be considered on a case by case basis. And and so many people in our field are just so driven by fear, um, and you know, versus feeling empowered with education or with coaching or with training and and you know, getting up to speed if that's something that really that you really want for yourself. Well, doesn't, running a business doesn't have to take away from your clinical work. In fact, it can help you find better balance between, you know, those those of us who are doing, you know, seeing 30, 35 clients a week. Um, it, it can be a really good thing. And especially now with uh, the the fast evolution of the Internet or even other things like online courses or podcasts or workshops or whatever, there's so many other cool things you can do. Um, right. You know what I mean? So I think that provides a real opportunity as well. And I know that's something that we've talked about too in terms of where do you put your time, especially as someone who who can do a bunch of different things. You know, so, mm-hmm. so how do you how do you manage that or how have you learned to uh, what to focus on next? Well, I've I I've really thought about my vision and I've used some of the tools that you've helped me with, you know, in terms of thinking of Five years from now, where do I want to be? What does that mean for the next year? What does that mean for the next month, the next week? You know, so really trying to stay focused and remind myself of what I'm wanting mm-hmm. and how do these 
current options right in front of me either lead to that or, or redirect me away from that, you know? And that's, it's, it's very easy to fall into some of that sort of inattentive habit of, Ooh, well, it's easier to do my billing right now. Let me do that. It's easier to check Facebook. You know, there's so many things vying for our attention and our time, you know, that it's, it's, it's a lot harder, of course, to plug away at the first level order of, of learning of like, okay, this is new for me. Like when you, when you first got me to look at my KPIs or those key performance indicators, it was so hard for me to make myself when I got to the office, just sit down and look at it because I'm like, what am I looking at? Wait, you know, it's, what, what it's was almost hard like about that for you. For me, it was, it was, it was a new skill, like a, a very, what felt like, and eventually it wasn't, but it, my perception initially was that if I look at all of these numbers, say for how many, each of my therapists or how many clients they're seeing, what am I actually making? You know, what's, how many numbers of calls are we getting? All the things that I needed to know, it felt like I might, you know, that I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, yeah. just kind of this this newness and and then also of course fear like we were talking about. A fear that what if what if I think I'm successful but I'm really not? Oh yeah. Like what if I see these numbers and, and it's horrible and I just gotta shut this thing down quick, you know? <laughs> it's best not um, to look at all. <laughs> right. I mean it's it's a it's classic avoidance and classic anxiety well it's like knowing that you know your car has been making a noise for nine months and you just refuse to even open the hood for fear of what for fear of not knowing what you're looking at once you do pop the hood right and then what right. what the heck am i going to do about it or is it already kind of too late <laughs> you know yeah um <laughs> and and uh you know I, i'm guilty of that right now with all of the you know, the busyness of having young children, yeah. I, I, I need an oil change. My light just came on and there I thought, you, you know, that's so annoying. I really don't want to do that right now. Thankfully, I walked to my work, um, so I don't really have to get in the car very often. Um, but but it's on and, and I'm currently ignoring it, John. So I do it in many areas of my life. This is interesting, right? So we'll, we'll call this episode, you know, how Stephanie ignores her check engine light. <laughs> How long can Stephanie ignore her check engine light for? Because oh, this is such a universal thing. I have such a high tolerance for ignoring flashing lights, <laughs> right? You know, and it's yeah, just the same yeah. with, with your phone. I turned off, you know, text messages and all of those Good. things uh, for a very long time. And, and there's some healthy ways that we can turn off all the flashing lights that are vying for our attention. And then there's some unhealthy things like, no, this is really important. I need to know how my business is really doing. I need to regularly mm-hmm. look at these numbers. That that's a flashing light that I I have had to make a habit mm-hmm. to look at, even though I don't enjoy it as much as checking Facebook. <laughs> yeah, no, it <laughs> sucks. Listen, I never said it was fun. <laughs> you know, well, people. Okay. I'm always, I was laughing. Right <laughs> when, yeah, when people in the group are like, "I know I need to. I know I need to check my numbers, John. I know. I know I need to do it." Right, I know I'm right. supposed to do it. And I'm like, I, I, I can't make you, <laughs> but it's your own. It's kind of your own anxiety. That's, that's going to take hold first, because again, you, you can only drive that car for so long until the, this kind of uh subterranean anxiety is always there of like, I, I know something's kind of either loose or could be better 
or and and again i don't have to be the expert i don't have to be the mechanic you don't have to know how to fix every part of your car but you need to generally know how it works and what its vital signs are Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that KPIs really allow you to do is it's not only it's not only a dashboard. So, you know, what's the temperature of the engine right now? What are the RPMs? Like, is my gas full? Okay, there's three there's three measures. Your KPIs are a lot deeper than that. And it's more like taking blood work, you know, and of of, of a person. So um let's see how we can bridge these two metaphors. Uh, <laughs> it's not gonna go well. Engines. Let's see. Um, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And 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 part of your role that I that that's helped me is is you're kind of like the teacher. And I've always been, like I said, the dork, the uh, the straight A student. And, that's why we and so well it's I mean, you're like I, the kid I, in the like front seat, the front of the row of the class. <laughs> Please call on. And I'm me like, I know, yeah, I know you can sit a few rows. You know, you can sit a few rows back, and you're like, no, this seat is good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right. At, I am the sit up in the front student, and um, always always have been. And it is bringing me back to. I remember elementary school; they'd sit me between the kids who had behavioral issues. You know, yeah, um, oh yeah. I was the one who would shush them and say, "Hey, I'm here to learn." Okay. Yep. All right, y'all be quiet. That's good. Um, but having the KPIs and, and having a coaching group, you're the person that says, "Hey, guys, you know, you said you were gonna do X, Y, Z, and 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 then." I, I either have that moment of, ah, you got me, you know, I didn't do it or, you know, yeah, I did it. Please give me some validation here and keep helping me try to achieve my goals. I keep telling you about. That's it. It's, it's a matter of once you do get familiar with that tool, for instance, or any tool that helps you know your numbers, uh, it becomes not not something that causes anxiety, but actually something that reduces your anxiety. In fact, there was someone else in our group one day that said that very thing, which is that actually I look at my numbers when I'm anxious because it helps me feel like, whew, I, you know, I know that things are running well because sometimes we get into this reactive um, kind of mode of I feel, keyword feel, that you know, my business isn't going well or my business isn't growing or I'm not profitable or I'm, I feel that I'm really profitable. And then we go, okay, cool. That's good to have to know that feeling, but also what do the numbers say? So it can be something that really gives you a lot of, um, you know, relief. Once you acquire this skill of, of checking things again, of checking the oil, checking the tire pressure, right? Checking, you know, your, the battery of your car, all these things that are really not that hard to do. But again, you just needed someone to show you how to do those things and then to really make it a habit, right? So to do it for 30 days and go, now that you know how to check those things, um, do, do it at least, you know, do it once a week for the next 30 days. And, and let's make it a habit, see how you feel. And then you also start making way better decisions in your business that are actually based on something other than feeling, which is how I did it for a long time, you know, until I looked at this stuff. And I, I said in a recent episode with, with Lynn Summerman, my financial coach, uh, yeah, I'll never forget the moment where she looked deep at my numbers in, in one business and said, oh, you're, you're, you're not profitable. And I thought I was wildly profitable. 
that sucked so bad. But I also <laughs> knew, I kind of knew it was coming in a way. But it meant that I had to make some harder decisions. And it meant that I had to resist a part of myself that would rather just kind of wing it and just be like, oh, I'm just creative. Let me just do this or hire that extra person because they're really cool. They seem great, you know. That, <laughs> so, I relate to that yeah. so much. And I did listen to that episode and that helped me too. And this is my first year having hired a CPA and and really trying to be you know, just aware and, and to feel oh, yeah. empowered to these numbers. It's it's such a different mindset. And I've been terrified for so long. And that's something I want people to know too mm -hmm. is is if you're if you're avoiding your numbers, if you're if you're classic wing it person like me too, please just go ahead and bite the bullet and 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 learn how this works and, and get into the habit of just looking at it and and making friends with it rather than being scared of it or just seeing it as an annoyance or something that I, I'll get to later. Like it, it really can help you make better decisions. Um, and also, like you said, reduce your anxiety. Like it really does help me to reduce my anxiety too, to see everything clearly. Absolutely. It's not just wonder. Mm -hmm. I thought I was profitable for a while too with some things and, and I wasn't. And, and it, it is very, it's so, it's sobering, but yeah. it's necessary um, to, to know that. Mm. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here from high school reunions to check <laughs> engine lights. Right. To stand up comedy, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, almost all the podcasts I listen to are stand up comedians and I was telling someone the other day I was like I know what day it is because of which podcast comes out that day because oh, awesome. they release weekly Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday um, yeah. and if one doesn't come out I feel like I'm walking crooked the whole day you know but you're waiting on it you're itching yeah yeah just waiting to breathe it's so helpful especially for me when I'm doing boring things like folding laundry or you know things that I, I really don't want to do. Mm. I, I love listening to stand up and, and just laughing. So if you think of laundry, maybe, and you don't have a way of getting through it, consider stand up. It makes all tasks. I was just doing dishes before this, this interview, <laughs> listening to my favorite comedy podcast. Most of them would offend people profoundly or some people profoundly. I don't know. Therapists, we need to have kind of thick skin in a way. Cause it's like, you hear we hear really intense stuff as therapists so yeah. you know <laughs> our our favorite you know we have we have safe comedians that my husband and i will say that we like um yeah. when we're mixed company like if 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 we don't know kind of the temperature of the room we don't know what people find funny mm -hmm. we don't know what people find offensive we'll say jim gaffigan that's uh, a good one very harmless. he's real safe, real yeah. safe. just makes fun of how fat he is basically which is funny for days and he talks about pop tarts and he just he, yeah. he stays he's very safe he's still hilarious but he's he's he he makes fun of things like also just situations he's very seinfeld safe oh yeah you yep. know he's situational <laughs> but you really if you really want to get to know someone you know ask them like what they laugh at like but oh, they're yeah. they're afraid of admitting to you know I'm very afraid of admitting my playlist. <laughs> my wife okay. is appalled by all of my podcasts. <laughs> I have to listen with, with headphones if we're like in the car together. Um, so I don't know what that says about me. Now you've got me thinking. 
No, it's funny. I won't say who, but I went to, uh, when I was in D.C. for a conference recently, I went to see a stand-up comedian, um, one of my husband's favorites, and I looked around, and everyone looked like him. It was so funny. Everyone oh, looked yeah. like my husband. That's, that's, <laughs> he that, that really makes sense. The graphic, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, so I won't, I won't, I won't out him for some of his his favorite uh, comedians, and I definitely won't out myself in this episode. But, um, but that's, I think that's a good getting to know you question. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind, and we can talk about our favorite shows off air. And yeah, I'll, let's do I'll it. work up the courage to let people know what I really <laughs> listen to. <laughs> um, well, as we wrap up, if there is there anything missing, or if you could just give one quick piece of advice that you wish every therapist could hear what what would it be no pressure i i think really really be honest with yourself like what you were saying the other day something about you know again i can't quote you but you know what would you do if you really weren't afraid mm-hmm. and that really spoke to me and that's something i that that is something i've said to myself for a while too that always keeps me grounded and helps me, you know, reorient myself. Like, wait, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like, do I want to be doing this? Um, especially with my business decisions. Um, and so really be honest with yourself. You know, what, what do I want to be doing? What's smart here? Not just what do I feel, but what's logical, you know, what's both. Um, and, and, that has helped me enormously. When I've made mistakes, it's because I've ignored that. Um, when I've really made some big mistakes, it's because I've ignored, you know, what I really want to be doing. Awesome advice. I love it. Very practical, but also um, uh, very kind of philosophical in a way. Um, there you have it, folks. Stephanie Cook at, I'm going to say your URL, and I'm going to not screw it up. CounselingATL.com. I don't know why I was afraid of screwing that up. You Maybe got it. You get therapy. Um, CounselingATL.com. We'll put a link to uh, to your site and everything for what it's worth. Also a great example of a great site um, that I know you've worked really hard on. And even since I've known you worked really hard on. So good, good work on that. And um, uh, yeah, so head there if you want to check Stephanie out. Stephanie, thank you again for being here. And I will see you very soon. See you soon. Bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks as always for tuning in and don't forget your homework from today, which is to share your favorite episode of this podcast with two or three or four or five therapist friends. I appreciate your help in advance. Take care of yourself. Have a great week and I'll see you very soon. Cheers. Cheers.